I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole Bizzle. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the long-awaited, at least for me, full-length film commentary for Logan, the final, bloodiest, and best Wolverine movie that we've been waiting for, at least since his introduction, so dramatically, in the out-of-nowhere, surprise-hit, uh, brilliant launch of the X-Men film series in 2000, with that amazing cast uh, that we've seen many times since, but none so much or so loved as Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. I'm going to save the talking for the commentary. I will say, uh, during the commentary, I say that I have released my podcast, I'm doing an X-Men extravaganza, my first ever, if you guys can believe it, you know how much I love the X-Men, with my buddy Reinhard Schumann, who's a massive X-Men and comic book um, uh, comic book fan in general, who is a longtime buddy of mine, but I haven't had on the podcast before. Um, uh, but anyways, it, that was, I thought that that was going to come out first, but as of today, which is Wednesday, August 8th, 2018, the release of Logan, I decided, you know what, it's going to take me a day or two to edit and get out the Reinhardt podcast, so let me release this prime the pump get people excited for x-men talk and so when, when, during the commentary basically you're going to be listening to it in the order of recording so when you hear me say in the commentary oh you'll have heard in reinhardt well you're just gonna have to go ahead and download the podcast with my buddy reinhardt truman in a couple days for talk, much more talk about logan wolverine the x-men the comic book universe on the page on the screen small and big and so forth so enjoy both of the x-men podcasts as we celebrate the news that disney is indeed moving forward sooner than later with the X-Men and New Mutants franchises next year, which I'm very excited about, despite the mixed reception to Apocalypse, but I will save that for Reinhardt. This is all about Hugh Jackman as Logan, an Academy Award-level performance, in my opinion, by Patrick Stewart, an Academy Award-level performance, definitely, in my opinion, by a newcomer Daphne Keene as X-23, who, against all odds, stole the movie from the two lead male characters, who are the two most beloved X-Men and two of the most beloved comic book and screen characters of all time and she's amazing the three of them and the entire supporting cast the bad guys eric lasalle from er my boy dr benton and so forth so i'm going to count you right into the podcast and enjoy this commentary and i hope you enjoyed uh and didn't start crying and hearing hurt by johnny cash in the beginning there thank you to the johnny cash family and everybody for that because that was of course the song released with the initial full-length trailer of logan that got us so invested and so excited about a movie that many of us wanted for a while wasn't sure they could pull off but james Mangold director and the people behind this part of the brain trust um, at Fox. Um, thank you all. Excellently done. One of the best, if not the best comic movies of all time. It may not lead to anything story-wise, but as long as we got this amazing ending to both um, of the, the, the lead characters and launching, hopefully, uh, uh, Daphne Keene as Lara slash X-23 into the future, it will have all been worth it. So, cue up your digital files, Blu-rays, DVDs, or whatever. I'm going to count us in into it right now i'm gonna go from three to one when i say go you will hit play subtitles if you want a little ambient background sound if you want i leave that to you and here comes the countdown all right three two one go all right folks 
Here we go with Logan. I'm so pumped to finally be doing this. I've uh, started to, or just been sort of setting up and thinking about doing this commentary for a, a while, ever since it came out, obviously, because I love X-Men, I love Wolverine, I love Hugh Jackman, and I love this goddamn movie. Um, and I decided to finally do it because I think I will have just released uh, my X-Men extravaganza, my first ever, with my buddy Reinhardt, who has never been on before. Turns out is a giant comic book fan, is a music buddy, um, and just overall friend of mine from the college days, and we talked all sorts of X-Men topics. Um, haven't recorded it, but that will have come out first. Um, if ever there was a comic book movie to be nominated or win an Oscar, even though it did neither, this is the one. It's the bloodiest, it's the darkest, but after building this amazing character and this amazing actor over the course of, I don't know, 17, 18 years and a whole slew of movies of his own and others, we finally got this. And I'm not going to do a huge play-by-play of this, although these early scenes are hysterical. Um and immediately depressing how much pain he's in and how miserable he is and how, you know, near future dystopia and all that stuff. You've seen this movie before, so I'll be doing some of that. But I'm going to be talking about the franchise since 2000. I'm going to be talking about growing up on X-Men on TV and um, uh, with with the cartoons and reading it. Um, And the experience of seeing this with my dad and seeing it twice in the theater and how hard it is to watch but hypnotic boom the decision to just go all the way with the the bloodiness and the violence and the dark themes the comic books that this draws from and so forth but welcome to logan so you know the best comic book movies in my book are either origin stories when they're done well, like Wonder Woman, um, or sort of secondary origin stories like this. Um, and usually it's the latter that are my favorite. It's sort of the secondary origin story. And they wanted to set up immediately how vicious he is, his superpowers, how bloody this film is going to be. Right off the bat, they'd been wanting to make this movie pretty much since the beginning, but it wasn't until Deadpool, which came out of left field, and took ryan reynolds forever to get out and the amazing box office and critical reception about uh, among both nerds and non-nerds for deadpool with that rated r movie that fox was able to fully green light rated r wolverine movie we can already see that his powers are are there but this is an old logan pain is hurting him more than usual I mean, already straight to the head, blood going everywhere, purely in self-defense. And so Deadpool's definitely going to come up, the sort of moving of Fox into rated R territory, the implications of Disney buying Fox and the future of rated R, uh, X-Men, X-Force, Deadpool movies, and so forth. All of that stuff is going to come in. And so, again, you know, this being recorded before, but being released after my X-Men extravaganza with uh, Reinhardt, um, I apologize if I repeat some stuff or it's a little uh, anachronistic or so forth. 
So this movie is based somewhat loosely on old man, the old man Logan comic book series, um, which I will get back to. It draws from non Wolverine X-Men stories, such as the cable hope, uh, house of M Messiah complex, uh, series, uh, which was also revisited in a new way in the new Deadpool movie. Um, immediately the way this is shot the piano music which is sort of reminiscent of uh like um uh like chronos quartet type stuff um or i should say like darren aronofsky movies and so forth um is noticeable so this is uh, yeah so wolverine is basically i'm sorry logan is a combination of old man logan a bunch of x-men stories a lot of westerns which james mangold the director and writer was very open about taking from especially shane which is referenced openly um in this movie they wanted to do a different take uh, of what near future dystopia would be like this isn't children of men this isn't mad max but the excess of wealth the police the immigrants the military you know these are familiar themes, but you put it through the lens of a dark Logan X-Men movie, and uh, and this is what you get. And this is a brutal movie. It's funny in places you don't expect if you're open to really dark comedy, especially with Patrick Stewart, as we will see. It introduces the best young female actress we've seen since Haley Steinfeld in True Grit or, you know, Emma Watson uh, and Harry Potter. It was a commentary I did recently. Uh, but Daphne Keene really came out of nowhere. And even with two legends like Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman steals large portions of the movie. And that's sort of the point. But we will get back to her. He's just trying to make his way here. We learn he's just trying to make enough money to basically uh, send him and uh, Professor X, who's really losing it, on a boat to get away from all this so they both can kind of die in peace. There she is, Daphne Keene. We already see her. Uh, Daphne Keene's character, Laura, a.k.a. X-23, which we will get back to, very much from the comic books, a very popular character. Um, a slight re-envisioning here, um, although she shares many of the characteristics of the character in X-Force and X-23 comic books. Um, she is a young Spanish actress. Her parents are actors and filmmakers from Spain, and she is fearless. This bad guy here uh, is sold totally through performance, as I'm always talking about. He's, this is the much better version of the bad guy from the first Deadpool. <laughs> he's just so creepy and evil immediately. As I live and breathe, he's a junkie now. He thinks the drugs are for him, which they're not. Turn this up a little bit. Buckshot. Yeah, Phoenix, that's a reference to Old Man Logan. So Old Man Logan... The, the, the recent series is actually him and Hawkeye going on a road trip and Wolverine has tried to go pacifist and Hawkeye is trying to convince him that he can't stay pacifist in this. He's immediately defending himself, but he's not seeking out fights. He's certainly not seeking out causes and 
there's a lot of different manifestations of the day the mutants died or almost died. And, and we'll talk about how uh, many of the mutants are dead or scattered in this and how that compares to the comic books. So because this movie is all about tone, <clears throat> performance, and filmmaking, ha- having delicious one-dimensional bad guys like this douchebag here is just put in on the... Uh, the dessert or whatever it is it's just icing on the cake the plot is really completely unimportant in this film and me going in not caring or even wanting a complicated plot but just wanting character studies i got exactly what i wanted Hugh Jackman as as uh, Logan slash Wolverine famously does drop the F-bomb in some PG-13 XN movies. You can get away with one here. You can get away with many. And there is some brutal killing in the X-Men movies, especially, well, really all of them, um, with the claws and the noise. But here you can really get the blood and the brutality and the death. You know, I think we were most most and best teased in the X2 mansion invasion by Stryker's forces where he goes in a rage protecting the kids and, and kills or takes out all sorts of soldiers. But this is the full realization. And the fact that this came out only a year after Deadpool makes me think that this was definitely in the works already, but I wonder whether it was fully greenlit in terms of its hard R, um, you know, rating and what that would allow them to do. Um, no, I, I don't know. I would have to research that more. Maybe that, that will have come up with, with Reinhardt. But I do remember walking at Deadpool being like, that was hilarious. I love Deadpool, even if we don't get another one. And I actually really like the second one, which I'm going to get back to. Not because it was funny. It definitely wasn't as funny as the first, but the, the X-Men X-Force world building it did was great and gave Deadpool a heart. Sort of the opposite of this movie where we see Logan at his absolute worst. No humanity. It's also going to be hard to talk about the timelines because they reset it after X-Men Last Stand, which was a disaster. They just sort of unkilled Patrick Stewart. They used Days of Future Past to kind of do it. Now with the new cast, there's more time traveling. So as I talked about with Manny G after this movie came out, you know, you sort of have to just assume the same thing you assume in the comics. Uh, Steven Merchant, you can barely recognize this Caliban. He's great in this. Um, you know, that there are multiple timelines. And I, I do think that this could be in continuity with future movies, but they definitely wanted to tell their story with finality um, and not be restricted about what came before and not what came after. And this is Fox going balls to the wall. And to me, going balls to the wall with Deadpool and Logan, not just with the violence and the cursing and the rated R and so forth, uh, is one of the most impressive things they ever did in a you know year period. These two films is not getting hung up with the MCU, which has mostly done great and really rebounded recently with Black Panther and Avengers. Um, not the DCEU, which has mostly failed by various standards, other than Wonder Woman is still trying to get its you know its hold and copying the MCU fast tracking a DC universe, the worlds of DC as they're calling it, you know, Fox has an X-Men universe, but they reset it numerous times and we will get back to that because here's crazy Patrick Stewart. So 
the stuff with Patrick Stewart is really shot like a horror film. And I really thought Patrick Stewart would get nominated for this. And Hugh Jackman in particular talks about, I mean, he worships Patrick Stewart. He spent his whole career with him doing these movies, just like Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, famously really good friends. Um, And to see both of these guys devolve in both similar and different ways is fascinating and heartbreaking. And me and my dad kind of had nervous laughter the first time we saw this. We weren't sure if this some of this stuff was meant to be played for laughs. Um, not necessarily played for laughs, but was a dark dark humor attempt. Ugh, it's just heartbreaking and brutal to watch this. Um, um, here it goes. They're trying to contain him in this dome, but his psychic powers are out of control. And as we'll learn... His psychic powers led to the deaths of, they say, like a few dozen or a few hundred mutants. We know there's thousands or more in the world. They don't really go into it. And we find out later in the movie that there are plenty of mutants left. But certainly the X-Mansion and the mutants in the X-Mansion, it seemed like there was a massive disaster in in Rochester, which, which we'll hear about. Now... People loved Mad Max. I, I think Logan was more agreed upon. It's sort of this genre of dark, future d- dystopia, dusty western. I, I think more people agreed that Logan was great, or at least liked it than Mad Max. As I've said many times, I'm not a giant fan of Mad Max, even though I realized what they were trying to do um, uh, artistically. Um and I do wonder whether I would have been able to tolerate some of the stuff and continue to tolerate on repeat watchings if it wasn't these characters that I know and love and wanted to see this crazy, you know, journey to the end, balls out, going all the way, fuck off Logan, you know. It's not that we needed this for these two I mean, obviously these characters, as I said, these two actors are legends, but for these two actors and these characters to fully realize their potential, I don't know if we needed a movie this dark and horrific, but it certainly did the trick. And I do want to continually stress, although I won't say it over and over again, it's not the hard ness of it that makes it great. It's what it allows it to do with a character study. And, you know, a number of the Wolverine comics, the X-Force comics, and even some of the X-Men comics are incredibly dark and violent and depressing. Even the mainline X-Men comics are constantly dealing with themes of hatred and genocide and racism and discrimination and the end of the world. And what are we fighting for when everyone's trying to kill us and so forth? But they, rather than do X-Men Last Stand, where it was just, you know, this giant battle scene that lasted the whole movie, they limit it to a few characters, but the stakes seem higher. Look at this. 
Look at Patrick Stewart. You barely recognize him. So Patrick Stewart, obviously, as you guys know, has been in amazing shape his whole life. He was much older as Captain Picard than you might think. He's in his like late 70s now. They just announced, by the way, that they're doing a new Star Trek series about like old Captain Picard that's in continuity. It's going to be incredible that he agreed to do it. I'm sure it will be brilliant because he's brilliant and Picard's one of the all-time great TV and sci-fi characters. But what I was going to say was... I'm going to actually turn this down a little bit so I can think because I get caught up in the drama like you guys. Um, I talk about the stakes being high with these two characters. With Patrick Stewart, it's because he literally can kill the entire world with his brain, which has been more than teased. I mean, X2 is specifically about Stryker trying to weaponize Patrick Stewart's brain to kill all mutants, and then Magneto tries to reverse it and use his brain to kill all humans, which he is capable of doing with the help of uh, Cerebro. Uh, We'll get back to that some other time, perhaps. But Logan being, you know, sort of the father, both literally and figuratively, of the next generation of mutants and what he does with Lara and the kids, ultimately. Oh, man, he can barely... Yeah, the blood coming out, it hurts more than ever. Um, You know, Logan being the savior of the future of mutant kinds, and in a way, with the good mutants as they're portrayed throughout as trying to protect mankind who hates them you know these two guys really are the saviors of the future even though most of the movie is just a you know quote-unquote small character study of these two caliban lara and a few other characters the implications are much greater and so whether or not this leads in continuity to anything or has led from anything it actually has major implications within this world this timeline right here for the future of both mutant kind and humankind so anyways patrick stewart's already always in great shape never a pound of fat but he had to lose even way more weight and the wolverine carrying him around constantly that's for real um, is jacked as Wolverine, uh, as Hugh Jackman was Wolverine in the initial X-Men movies. He gets more and more and more jacked with each one. He talks about the insane things he does where he, you know, he just drinks tons of water and fasts and for the scenes where he is shirtless and has to look extra ripped. Uh, you know, he, even though he gets older and older, Hugh Jackman looks more and more like the 90s overly buffed, hyper-masculine uh, superhero characters uh, that we saw in the 90s X-Men comics, which were very up and down. Um, yeah, Caliban already knows that he's disposable. So Caliban was it, it was also, I believe, in X-Men Apocalypse, pretty forgettable. He, you know, he can spot other mutants. And so he's been used by the bad guys. Now he's trying to help the good guys. They're letting him stay here with them, but he's already sussed out that this suicide plan, I mean, it's not really a suicide plan because Professor X is is almost dead. Logan's losing his healing factor. They just want to go on a boat, get away from the world and die together out in the ocean. Right here it is. A year ago, you asked me to help you. can't help you 
I can't believe this is Stephen Merchant. He's, of course, a brilliant comedy writer and actor. The other part of the Ricky Gervais brain trust with The Office. Mm-hmm. He's always drinking booze, but now what he actually you know needs or feels like he needs the booze to d- dull the pain. Before, it didn't touch him because of his healing factor. Now it's, you know, with the blood and the pain. And, you know, I, we're already 20 minutes in. I haven't mentioned... What, what makes one of the things that makes the character of Wolverine great in and out of the movies is that e- even when he's you know young buck full powered Wolverine, he always feels the pain as he says at the very beginning to Anna Paquin as a rogue in the very first X Men movie. It hurts every time, and he feels the bullets when he gets an atomic bomb. There's titties. <laughs> he's smiling. He's looking. Yeah. I think this is the only time we see him smile the whole movie. Just girls having fun being idiot, drunk girls, rich kids. You know, we're seeing the divide between rich and poor. Well, we've seen the rich. We're going to see the poor. Um, So anyways, even Wolverine, younger Wolverine, full power, he feels the pain, even though he can survive and recover. Now he's feeling the pain. It's worse, and he's having trouble recovering. And the adamantium is actually poisoning his blood after all these years. All right, Daphne Keen. This piano music is great. Reminds me of the music from uh, Moon. Clint Manziel, that's that's the guy. He did the mu- Moon music as well. I'm not sure who did this this soundtrack. Um, so they needed someone who was going to be fearless and who was a relative unknown. The daughter of Spanish, you know, soap opera actors who are very experienced and she comes from a great family probably been acting or at least a watching actor since she was very young just google the two or three minute clip of the face-to-face audition she did with him and it's the very first time she talks which isn't which isn't until much later on in the film and she just goes right at him with him cursing and screaming at her in her face you you, they have it up on youtube uh it's not even a leak they released it and you can see how fearless and comfortable she is So, uh, Daphne Keen, uh, I believe her real last name is Rodriguez or something. I'll have to look that up. Um, she doesn't like quote unquote look Latina, but she's definitely Spanish in real life. But if you've seen Spaniards, a lot of them don't look Latin American. And so when she starts speaking like perfect Spanish later on, it's a little arresting until you look her up and realize that she is, you know, Hispanic or Española. So, while it has been done many times in comic book and movies about experimentation on mutants, it's an important central theme, and it was critical that this be the core of what drives Wolverine in this film, because that's, of course, where he comes from, and he's tormented about not knowing where he comes from, how he ended up in the Weapon X program, being experimented on, seeing other mutants experimented on. He's seen it all. He's seen it happen over and over again. You know, the two main themes in terms of human exploitation of mutants is one, just locking them up or killing them like in days of future past or the various apocalypse scenarios and mutant experiments. Okay. This is great. 
and this is the Deadpool connection is, you know, Deadpool plays fast and loose with the fourth wall, knowing that he's the comic book character because that's how it is in the comics. And that's what makes him great. That's what makes him Deadpool. But the fact that they've made X-Men comic books, which they're using actual X-Men comic books, uh, because the X-Men used to be heroes, at least to some, even now they're mostly dead and on the run and so forth. And that, it serves a major plot point. It's not just fan service of, Oh, Wolverine taking comic book of himself from the eighties or nineties that she's carrying around or so forth. And we'll get to the fact we'll get, we'll get back to the notion of whether the, you know, secret coordinates or whatever that are in there are real or not, or just a giant red herring. Movies like this, when you have a great but small central lead cast and you have these side characters that have to sell exposition and sell other characters quickly, efficiently, and effectively. Um, You know, I think the ultimate example is the hologram of Sarah Paulson at the end of Serenity where she talks about the Reavers and, you know, starts getting eaten and raped by the Reavers on the hologram while the Firefly crew watches uh, in his horrifying and a brilliant performance. You know, this woman has to do something similar. We never really learn much about her, or we think we're not going to, until we start seeing a somewhat convenient but needed footage of the facilities in Mexico City where she came from. So I'm going to, uh, I will have brought up a, a lot of this stuff with Reinhardt, who, who's known and uh, m- who knows much more about this, has read more much, uh, has read much more about this than me. What comes from where? I've read some of the old man Logan comic books. Um, Hawkeye being kind of a goofball and, you know, Wolverine trying to be a pacifist. I didn't really connect with it. I don't love a lot of the art of the X-Men. Um, you know, or it's very been inconsistent over the last couple decades. Um, and so I didn't get too far in the old man Logan comics, but I have researched it, but this is actually more based on the cable hope story. She's already dead. Um, which they revisit in the new Deadpool movie. And the fact that they revisit the story that this is based on more directly in the new Deadpool movie possibly i hopefully leading to x-force in the future leads me to believe that they are considering this a single alternate timeline thing i mean look this is clearly definitely the wolverine that we see in days of future past and in the wolverine and his being haunted by jean gray and having to kill her when she became the dark phoenix whether it's connected to the original movies or the new cast movies i don't know but character wise this is connected to all the solo Wolverine films and the more recent X-Men films that he's played a major part in. Um, there's a somewhat interesting pulpy image comic series called Eclipse um, that I've read on and off from the last couple of years about uh, a disease that breaks out that makes people's bodies like completely blow up and disintegrate under the sun it's not the sun itself it's a disease uh and image wise we get that with caliban here who can't be exposed directly to the sun and it's brutal when when he is you know it's going to happen and the bad guy's probably going to be involved um here we go 
All right. So the question is, why are they coming after him? They're definitely looking for the girl and the other kids who escaped, and they think he's connected, even though he doesn't want to be connected and doesn't realize he is. Does he have the John Lennon glasses? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't beat a snarky southern accent Texan style for your bad guys. This guy's motivations are completely unknown. But unlike the lame Deadpool villain who forces Deadpool's transformation in the first Deadpool movie, this guy's a great actor and does a great performance here. And he's just a thug. You know, he's smarter than the average thug. He's got the gift of gab, loves hearing himself talk. Definitely the sort of postmodern, you know, rated R X-Men version of an old Western villain. And again, while I read and probably saw Shane growing up, and that really stuck with me, especially the book, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, he's got the Terminator hand. That looks great. That looks better than most Terminator hands we've seen. Boom. Here she is. So, spoiler alert, guys. I'm, again, I assume you've seen this. Right. Patrick Stewart already knows about Laura. Presser X already knows about Laura. How does he know when Logan's just finding out? He must have read it. He just read it in the ether. And now he's outside, so now he can read read thoughts. And these two form an amazing bond right away and even though she kind of knows her connection to logan certainly more than he knows or wants to admit to himself and we're about to see the connection in a very physical way with the claws um i'm not sure she would stick with them if not for um not for professor x in their in their relationship and the brutal somewhat shocking death of a professor x by the the you know alternate wolf evil wolverine um while on the surface is most painful and heartbreaking for um for uh for logan because she's so young and vulnerable and she should have her whole life ahead of them and logan's just waiting to die you know ultimately affects her more or at least in a different but equally intense way so i remember seeing this and they didn't show her talking in any of the trailers or clips which was really smart you know i knew x23 herself as an older version wasn't silent but when she actually does talk, first of all, they hold off on it so long that I, I think it's never going to happen. And when it does happen, it's great. And that's actually the audition scene. We'll get back to the fact that her, her first scene screaming at him in Spanish was the audition scene. So transmission of information, who cares how he knows about her? He can sense her. Uh-oh. 
And we think this is maybe Professor X, but it's not causing this, I guess. Sorry, just got to turn my energy saver off on my computer. Oh, Caliban's so sweet. He's really trying to help him. Of course, he wakes up, and here comes the cavalry. Muting. So, you know, with Logan this far gone hit in his only concern being trying as best as he can to protect and ease the pain of professor X. You need to force him into a scenario and really uh, every single time he ends up doing the right thing. He's sort of being forced into doing the right thing. And the initial X men, uh, X two, it's sort of his paternal instinct that kicks in, uh, the Wolverine movies up until now have mostly just been him out for himself and character studies to varying degrees of quality. Nowhere near as good as this. The Wolverine was pretty good. I did a commentary for that that maybe I'll release, but, you know, after seeing this, it, it's made almost irrelevant. She's not our problem. So, you know, the biggest gap, as we have this great action scene here, um, the biggest gap in character is well, the thing about Wolverine is even when his heart is opened by everyone from Anna Paquin as rogue to, um, you know, Famke Jensen as Jean Grey, uh, to the kids from the X-Mansion to the new X-Men when he goes back into the past to help James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence and so forth his heart gets opened, but then it ultimately ends up closing because he has heartbreak or he can't live in the moment or he outlives everybody. Everyone he loves dies. And a lot of these themes were explored in the second solo movie, the Wolverine. And that movie was supposed to be rated R. I haven't seen the extended cut actually, which is supposed to be darker and more along these lines. He goes through a similar emotional journey, even though the story is totally different of giving up on everyone being totally selfish, claiming he doesn't care about anyone, but being sucked into something through like honor <laughs> mixed with just lack of choice. Uh, and his relationship with the two Japanese women who are fantastic in that movie. Um, especially Yukio, his bodyguard who I wish came back. Oh, there we go. Um, and so you just have to assume, you know, that every few years he just kind of reverts to old, selfish, hateful, violent, animalistic, uncaring, barrier emotions and feelings in a whole Wolverine. That would never have knocked him out in, uh, you know, in his younger manifestations. And so after all the relationships he's had, but then he had to kill Gene, but then Gene's back to life and future past. And then, but then we see the Wolverine, which I guess came out before future past where Gene's still dead. It's all really hard. So what you really have to do is follow Hugh Jackman's performance as Wolverine through all the movies because the movies don't all connect or make sense. I love the serial. 
Now, we did see clips of her with the claws. I knew that she was X-23 or some version of X-23. But to break it out this early, she hasn't even spoken yet. She's waiting for them to get closer. She's eating her cornflakes like a little girl. And she just has that look. I just, I, you know, I have this feeling about young female actresses in particular. It's, it's the Emma Watson thing. You know, it's not just that they're, you know, adorable and pretty young girls who can act their asses off. It's that they have this unbelievably natural talent for acting perfectly, uh, whether it calls for understatement as she's been doing so far or over the top, like when Emma, when Hermione, you know, goes crazy at various points and takes charge where she takes charge here. And this is the origin story. You think, while this is a, se- a secondary slash final origin story for Logan, <laughs> she decapitated him. <gasps> it's actually her origin story. And that's what's great. It's a death story for the other two main guys. But th- while this movie's called Logan, this is the X-23 origin story. And the biggest challenge they're going to have is working. They can't cast a new X-23. They have to let her grow up or be a teenage X-23 in the movies. She's too too great. She's natural. Okay, here we go. I don't know how they did this. I don't know how they did this with such stunt double. There are the claws. Look at her physicality. I mean, they clearly have a, you know, a woman, a small woman, when you can't see her face doing some of this stuff. But there's a lot of stuff where you can see Lara because it's important to see her face screaming and the anger and the rage and just the power of, of heart and soul and acting that this requires and that this she displays. I mean, let's put it this way. This would have still been a really, really great Logan Wolverine, you know, slash Professor X movie with a serviceable or above average X-23. But the fact that she steals the show and they let her steal the show and they want her to steal the show is what makes this movie totally great. I mean, you can barely see where the cuts are. There's blood going everywhere. She's sliding, slicing. She's clearly done this before. I mean, the fact that she could decapitate a guy quickly and silently and take on all these guys, she's been fighting. She's killed God knows how many people. And, you know, that's the burden of Wolverine is having killed hundreds of thousands of people, whether deserved or not. And she's already having to do it at a young age, maybe much younger than than Logan ever had to. And he doesn't open up his heart to to her to like the very end, at least not openly, but he has to be sympathetic to everything she's going through because while spoiler alert, she is essentially his genetic daughter of sorts. She's also going through the same experience of torture and experimentation and, and so forth that he, that he's had for done for so long. I mean, I love Jennifer Lawrence and she's done great physical work in Hunger Games as well. That's a bow and arrow. You know, with Mystique, it's a lot easier to get a stunt double in there. Um, 
it seems to me that 12-year-old Daphne Keene is doing more of her own stunts in this, or at least it's more convincing than Jennifer Lawrence uh, as Mystique, who I actually think is great. I think she's unnecessarily shat upon for whatever reason is Jennifer Lawrence. But man, nothing like this. It looks, I mean, it looks like she's doing all those flips. Now they have to take her because, I mean, you know, you're always wondering the calculus in Wolverine's head he's clever but he's not particularly smart but i guess he figures they're coming after him no matter what and she's gonna keep coming for him no matter what and so you know the one guy he's trying to you know save ish in professor x loves this girl and wants to help her and so he has to help her The thing about this movie is that while there are some incredible plot twists in the overall plot structuring, it it, is fairly brilliant. I said earlier, it's nothing special. What I meant by that was just that it didn't need to be like a Christopher Nolan movie (laughs) with the twists because of the aesthetics and the character studies. And by the way, this is the payoff, again, of like 10, you know, Wolverine X-Men movies in 17 years. And Patrick Stewart's been involved in a lot of them, too. This is the Mad Max stuff. I mean, this is their direct comparison to Mad Max. This is way less over the top. You don't have flaming guitars and, you know, like people with tattoos and crazy facial scars and blah, 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 blah. Uh... And this is a car chase that's not a traditional car chase, you know, like the Winter Soldier car chase with Nick Fury, for example, where he's just stopped. And that's what makes it great is he can't move the car. Um, But to me, this is much more kinetic and believable than Mad Max, even though I know that they did like this, did all this stuff practically with the cars. The budget on this movie was not huge, as they proved with this in Deadpool. You don't need $250 million to do an amazing action movie. I am watching this on my big screen, but me and my dad saw this on RPX, giant 2D screen, twice, and it looked spectacular all the way through the whole time. And by the way, they go for the realistic blood, not the, you know, Zack uh, Snyder, Alan Moore, um, or even Quentin Tarantino comic book blood. That's a meant to be meant to be intentionally campy. I just did V for Vendetta. It's meant to be intentionally fake looking with the blood. This is meant to be very brutal and you know, very real in terms of the blood. All right. We're already in the, you know, West Southwest Western motif. So we've got the mutant stuff going obviously now we've got the western stuff going uh both in terms of theme and obviously atmosphere aesthetics environment and so forth but the third uh aspect to the secret sauce of this movie is of course the road trip and especially when you're dealing with character studies with a small number of characters uh the road trip mechanics amazing hunt for the wilder peoples another uh even though it's a you know two guys in the woods uh, it's still like kind of you know a road trip vibe um you know a road trip mechanic on the move you can be shooting beautiful environment with music you don't need to be talking all the time <laughs> here's douche face extraordinaire 
Um, and the road trip vibe really helps keep this pretty long movie uh, going. And w- w- with all the kinetic action, I was going to say earlier, there is actually quite a bit of fighting in action, but there are long, long periods of, of uh, dialogue or sort of human interaction without a ton of speaking. I knew that was coming. I think they're going to expose him to the sun here. You can see it coming a mile away. Still brutal. Um, and so the road trip motif carries throughout the whole, really the whole rest of the movie. And when they do stop twice, it's disastrous. Once in the hotel coming up when Professor X almost kills everyone again. And then, of course, when they stop with um, uh, the the African-American family. Um uh, which of course is extremely tragic and, and vaults, you know, catapults uh, the 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 movie into the final act with the you know shocking death of Professor X and the confrontation of the two Wolverines and meeting the Maker and and the progeny and so forth. So he's trying to turn them uh, turn him against the X-Men. I don't know these guys in particular, but bad guys have definitely already used him in this timeline and this storyline, I believe have used Caliban to track mutants before, but it's always because he's being tortured and pressured and in various ways. I mean, look at this, you know, what's he supposed to do? And he does end up leading them, uh, to uh, you know, to the, to the main three, and it leads to the almost to death of all of them. Leads to the death of Patrick, uh, to Professor X. Leads to the death of, of uh, at least some of the African American family, if not all of them. I can't remember that particular part. Um, with oh, what's his name from ER? Who such a great turn, you know, this short moment. Um or short few scenes of, of comfort where you just know the bad shit's coming back, but we'll get back to that. So here's the footage. She sneaks on the phone, which got her killed. And you know, she was able to free the kids. She's just a Mexican city, uh, you know, nurse who ends up at this hospital realizes how horrific this whole thing is. There's Xander rice. Um, and, uh, the doctor who will see there he is there's Ender rice i'm not sure what his place in the comics is um and you know you needed this and because it's a camera phone and it's grainy you could maybe believe that she could sneak it and, and, and get away with it and we're seeing all the young mutants here and we think they're all dead. Um, and of course, one of the only hopeful parts of this movie is that some of these kids make it out and Wolverine ends up, you know, giving his life, uh, to, to save them. And, you know, I don't know if these kids are meant to be the new mutants, new X-Men, X-Force, whatever. This is a great image, of course, right in the, you know, I mean, they're not subtle with the Western stuff, her riding on the horse. And that's all she wants to do is be a kid, you know, and these kids just want to be kids. And, you know, she's just trying to give them any amount of childhood here. She's, but she's not supposed to kiss them. She's not supposed to be nice to them. This is, of course, both the hubris and the cruelty of bad guys that gives them power, but also gives them weakness. Because if they coddled these kids, they could maybe trigger both the kids and the workers 
uh, into going along with this charade and hide the fact of how much they're using them and what the ultimate purpose is. But, you know, that's X-Men. That's comic books. That's Hollywood. Um, uh, here's the operation. They're putting, they're putting the adamantium in her. So the, the key is, you know, not, not everyone understands this. Uh, you know, it's not explicit, even if you've seen the movies. Wolverine's superpower isn't the adamantium. His superpower is his unbelievable healing factor that allows him to recover from almost anything, including stripping his body apart, lining his entire body with adamantium, giving him the claws and so forth. So she's right. I like that. uh, I love that. Even though Logan doesn't accept it until the very end uh, fully, the fact (laughs) I have to paint the fact that Professor X already knows it and is telling him and is telling the audience that it's his daughter because clearly she's got the healing factor. They developed her. I don't know. Definitely in this commentary, I'm not going to be able to suss it out because I'm doing too many things at once. (laughs) Um, I think she tries to steal up here, uh, which she's had to do before. Um, God, this is so... I mean, this is darkly funny, but also it's just like really uncomfortable. You could imagine these two guys doing these scenes laughing, you know, even though the tone is supposed to be a combination of dark humor and horrific, the state that he's in, you know, but that's, you know, that's all old people. It doesn't matter if you're Professor X, one of those powerful mutants ever, he's still an old guy and he's weak and he needs help going to the bathroom. Of course, he doesn't... He wants her to not steal, not because he thinks it's wrong, but because it's going to draw attention to them. This this guy looks like a much less good-looking version of Aaron Taylor Johnson with the, the dyed blonde hair as a, his version of Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. Looks a lot like him, actually. Um, whoop. She's going to kill this guy. Not okay. Um, but I just love that they just tell the audience immediately that it's his daughter because you're already thinking it. If you know the comics, you know that... Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, guys. So many strands going on here. Is that I, I don't know if she was produced in a vet. Um, like if she was just genetically cloned essentially from him, whether they injected the DNA in her. I think there was some exposition in the videos uh, there that explains some of it. It's left somewhat up to a mystery. You know, mutants are, are born mutants. And the one thing about this movie is it flirts a little bit with the rest of the Marvel Universe, whether it's Captain America or the Hulk or whoever who have super or Captain Marvel who have superpowers because they're exposed, Daredevil exposed to, you know, gamma rays or experimentation and so forth. Mutants are supposed to be born with the X gene. You're not supposed to be able to produce mutants. And I don't know if that's a revolutionary thing that they're doing here. I don't know if I'm misreading that. Now they're jumping off the side. Right, a soldier who will not fight is useless. Again, how horribly they're treating the kids is making them not want to fight. If you want them to be super soldiers, uh, and you're not totally controlling their brain the way X-24 or whoever, the Wolverine clone that we're going to see, is sort of being mind-controlled. If you're not going to control their brain, then you have to trick them into, into being soldiers. 
they're doing a bad job at that. And ultimately, the kids try and escape, and some of them do. So, yeah, so I don't know what combination of them being born as mutants and then being modified and so forth um, is going on. But they definitely took his DNA. She can't be a direct clone, obviously, because she's a girl and because she, you know, looks much different than him. Uh, But they definitely grew her, you know, they probably injected his DNA into some poor woman's, anonymous woman's eggs, ovaries, whatever, and did it that way. So this actually bridges the, the sort of Avengers style, you know, getting superpowers through accidental science hijinks with the born genetically as a mutant. And I've never, this woman's killing it again. This is the whole Sarah Paulson thing. Great exposition. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I love properties like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and X-Men. In all of them, you have people who are, you know, for the most part, born genetically stronger than other people. And it seems to be random or it's through ancient bloodlines or so forth. X-Men has to do with the nuclear age. You often have mutants born to non-mutants. Uh, mutants who mate can have mutant children. They can also have non-mutant children. They, they can sometimes not have children at all. So there's her horse. So, anyways, we'll have to leave the scientific stuff up for debate. But she is definitely the genetic progeny of Wolverine against both of their wills. And, you know, it's interesting to think whether he's more hesitant to help her slash turned off from her because he knows deep down that Professor X is is right. Here they're smiling at each other. These two have a bond. Um, they're communicating via minds, even though she's not talking, obviously. Um, you know, Professor X swore long ago he wouldn't go back into Wolverine's brain without his permission. Um, but it's never, you know, Professor X's uh, telepathic invasions, um, are never, (laughs) look at how (laughs) destroyed this car is. Look at those bullet holes. Um, you know he can go into anyone's brain, even in this state when he's not going crazy without them knowing. And he, he sort of slyly says to Wolverine once or twice in the more recent movies, like, yeah, maybe I haven't been totally truthful about our agreement to not go into your head, but he's definitely not going in invasively, but he's definitely communicating with her. And so, as I was saying, it's interesting to think whether if she were just a mutant who needed help, who went through something similar up there is going to be her outfit. Um, whether Wolverine would actually be not more willing, but less conflicted about helping her as just a favor to Charles or, you know, and to to get her out of their hair without having being riddled by even more guilt than he's experiencing if it were not his daughter. But ultimately he makes the sacrifice because it's, it's, it's his daughter. So, it's yours. (laughs) It's funny to see, I mean, there are people younger than Patrick Stewart who, you know, think and act like elderly people, like their minds are already gone. He's one of the sharpest and most cogent people on the planet, not just for his age, but for anyone. So he's having to really act like like a 110-year-old, basically, or someone with Alzheimer's or, or something like that. I mean, 
you know, the level of difficulty for all of these three actors is insane. Um, I think Patrick Stewart, uh, in terms of dramatic performance, may have the hardest uh, part. Daphne Keene, just being a kid and all the physical stuff she's required to do, the facial acting, the nonverbal stuff. <laughs> she's riding the wheelchair around. It's great. He doesn't care. He thinks it's hilarious. Look at this shot. <laughs> she's just wheeling around the room. They're watching Shane. The Asaldo Cinema in my hometown. Yep. Yep. And she memorizes the speech. She's definitely not deaf. And she gives part of the speech from the end of Shane at Wolverine's funeral at the end. And when you're a director, you know, I'm always talking about writer-director, embrace fully the influence to the point where you know, you actually work it into the plot the same way they work the X-Men comic books into the plot. It's great. You don't just need echoes of it, you know, and then directors will, some directors will brush off the influences and, you know, interviews and stuff. They're like, I mean, they openly said, like, this is Logan meets Shane on a road trip, basically. Uh, And it's great. It's absolutely great. Because Shane is the outlaw doing good things. Wolverine is an outlaw who used to do good things. Now he's not. Ultimately, he will become the outlaw to do good things again and help the people who can be saved. You know, I believe that the thing in Shane is he has to come into the town and kill all the bad guys, but even though it's the Old West, um, with, the, with American morality and so forth, he can't stay because he's still murdering people even though they're bad guys. Here we go. That's that's Sauron, not Sauron, Sauron, the uh, giant green pterodactyl. He was a, a Wolverine bad guy. Right, where will people die? Yeah, you know, making fun of the leotards again. He's always making fun of the the old X-Men spandex outfits. He claims all the comic books are based on bullshit, you know, but as Ahsoka says, you know, there's there's always truth in, in legends. There's always some truth in, in, in all legends. Uh, and, you know, the key is that Daphne Keene's character th- through her now dead adoptive mom who sacrificed her life for her, they believe they found these secret coordinates that were in the comic books and that's where they need to go. You know, Logan understandably thinks that's total nonsense and they're just deluding themselves because of how horrible the situation is and they need any bit of hope. Logan has no hope, but, and this is the other part about the road trip, of course, is you can have bad guys chasing them in big scary cars and trucks and so forth. (laughs) This fucking guy. Uh, Boyd, I believe his name is. Uh Uh-oh. Do they end up just killing everybody here? Um... Of course, the coordinates end up being correct. Although, I don't know if they're... I think they're correct just because the kids have agreed to go meet there through the comic books. Because no one would think to... Even if one of them overheard the kids or saw one of the kids reading the comics, they would, like Logan, think it's nonsense and, you know, it's just a comic book. It can't be real. And that's why it's the ultimate place to meet because it's a way they can transmit information secretly Um and, you know, it, let's put it this way. The comic book's not telling them some objectively correct place to go that happened to be published 20 years ago in an X-Men comic book. That's just a place they agree to meet, and that's how they transmit and share the information, I believe. 
again, the the action, cinematography, character action, uh, uh, character drama, and so forth, tenseness, everything other than the plot is so gripping. You sort of aren't paying close attention to the small twist in the plot, and you sort of don't care, as I've been saying. So, okay. So, there's going to continually be chased, continually have to fight and run. There's a great scene in the hotel where Patrick Stewart loses his mind, and they have to get out of there. Here's the comic books. There's the old school Wolverine from the 70s, I believe, or early 80s, with the old, old blue and yellow. Right, Eden. So, Eden's the place where they're going. And I believe... Are the coordinates right here? Yeah, there it is. 48.97, blah, 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 blah. And he's putting the connection because she gave him that. But of course, she didn't explain. So he's being a dummy here. He's thinking this is just a hoax. Right, you gotta be fucking kidding me. He thinks this is a hoax that somehow there's some like miraculous place that they're meeting based on the comics, but that's just, the tr- again, the sharing of information among the kids of, of a place that the bad guys would never guess because they would dismiss it as just kids' nonsense and, you know, fictional comic books. And th- that's one of the themes. Is, is Not only is Logan far from being a good guy up to this point and continues for a while, but he's thinking like the bad guys. He's thinking there's no hope. There's no reconciliation. There's no saving people. People are terrible. The world's going to shit. I'm suffering. And here's Charles suffering. This is really painful to watch, especially in the theater. The question is, how far is this psychic, uh, disturbance going is it sort of just in the hotel in the immediate area it seems to be like everywhere around the city i don't know how close these guys are it's great to see boyd and the bad guys suffering as well you know logan the only reason logan can fight through this is a well b he still has some of his super strength um, including resisting telepathy, but he's also been dealing with Charles's telepathy for many, many, many years, including his more recent, you know, losing of his mind, Professor X, that is. Um, and so all three of those things, and again, just pure will to save his friend, allows him to do this. And then, of course, once he sees them directly threatened, this is great. Yeah, this is a great use of the claws. It's like climbing with the claws. Like he is basically climbing. He's like climbing a mountain right now, and the guy can't move himself or his gun. This, of course, is Charles's um, way of saving themselves. Here we go. And we missed the part, or I missed commenting on the part where we realized Charles hasn't been taking the pills. He's been stuffing them in the seat and stuff. And part of it is Charles doesn't want the pills. He wants to die. You know, he doesn't, but he also realizes that in his final days, he needs his powers as unpredictable and screwed up as they are. Oh, look at that. It looks so real. I always talk about how knives, you know, is the most brutal way of killing and again, to compare to another similar ultra-violent rated art movie, John Wick. John Wick is just head-shooting people with, with guns at close range. It really becomes uninteresting very quickly, especially after the first one. 
with Wolverine having to go hand to hand, take bullets, feel the pain of the claws, feel the pain of getting shot and beaten up and so forth. Plus the noise, the blood, it's more brutal. It's more tactile. It's just cooler. It's cooler. And and that's why people love Wolverine just as an action star. Because having knives in your hands is, you know, the most ballsy way of, of fighting. Especially when you know he can feel all the pain. Now he gives him the shot. She kills somebody else. Now, again, Logan's going to learn the wrong lesson. He's saying you're not taking your pills. That's what led to this. Charles, I don't know if he says it or, or, you know, he knows that part of the reason he's not taking the pills, again, is to have that insane psychic power ready to protect them if necessary i think this is the last time he does it because when charles gets killed he thinks it's logan in the room not realizing it's logan's evil twin x24 or whatever so they tried to make x20 so the idea is laura as x23 is a partial clone who was grown from his dna but she has some of her own dna as well they get tired of waiting and so they straight up clone Wolverine in a vat uh, and Hugh Jackman fighting Hugh Jackman that actually looks like Lee Schreiber who played Sabretooth in that terrible X-Men Origins Wolverine movie uh, is basically mindless because, you know, he, he was produced as, you know, essentially a zombie with the powers of Wolverine, but not the uniqueness and biological, normal biological growth of, uh, Daphne Keene's character, Lara. I don't think she blows up at him. He- Does she blow up at him here or is it after, Professor X is dead. <laughs> right, here's the meds thing. <laughs> I don't know. Two days, yeah. Right, he didn't do it because he lost it there. He did it because he was saving them. So Logan's wrong about the comic books and the coordinates. He's wrong about Lara. He's not accepting it's his daughter. He's not accepting that Xavier might be actually in more control than they think, than we think. Right. Right. Be like the rest of the world, blaming someone else for your boring shit. Pop. Right. You honestly derive no sense of purpose from what we're doing. Yeah. They're both dead man walking and suffering greatly, but Charles is able to hold on a little bit longer because of this girl, and he's begging Logan to do it. It's similar to the way, um, you know, the shepherd and Serenity, the Firefly movie, is ultimately the one to get Mal to f- Malcolm Reynolds, Nathan Fillion's character, Captain Malcolm Reynolds, to you know finally believe in something to have a purpose and believe he's not saying faith he's not saying god even <laughs> even though shepherd book is is a man of god theoretically but he's saying no believe um in your crew believe in the purpose of doing something good and especially believe in river uh, summer glau's character river tam and what she's trying to do which is you know save the galaxy basically take down the alliance expose the reavers and so forth you know and shepherd's dying breath he's saying just b- believe not faith just believe in her believe in this and it's not until professor x dies 
and really until the kids at the very end when Logan does it. And even then, what's great and tragic, beyond the suffering, beyond all the death and the hopelessness, what's really depressing is, you know, does Logan do it in the end? Before his dying words where he accepts her as his daughter, is it just out of sheer rage? And it happens to help the kids. We'll have to watch the emotional drama play out. More horses? Yes. Oh, she's got foot claws. Oh, right. Her gender... The foot claws. Yeah, he doesn't have foot claws. She has two on her hands and two on her feet. Yeah, I'm not sure this is really true. I mean, it might be true about cats in the wild. The fact that she has foot claws might have more to do with them, you know, uh, pushing the experimentation uh, further. But, you know, it's Charles. He can't help being a scientist, being an evolutionary biologist that he is with a million degrees. So, all right, guys. So we're a little over an hour in, and we're going to have the extended scene with Eric. um, I'm blanking on his name. I'll get it. When uh, uh, Pierce is the bad guy, Boyd Holbrook plays Pierce, who's the you know the Texan with the with the robotic hand, um, who's just you know who's just the lackey of of the doctor who's who's behind all this, the mutant experimentation, like Stryker. The difference is Stryker is a military man who gets scientists to do his dirty work. Here, the scientists are in charge, and there's my cat. And uh, and the scientists are commanding the military men. Charles, of course, is calming the horses. We see he can speak to animals. I'm not sure we've learned that before. Here he is. I don't want to hit any buttons for fear of screwing up the, uh, the sink. Eric LaSalle, excuse me. I knew I recognized him. It took me a while to place him as, uh, as Dr. Um, Benton is his name. So here we go. So I, you know, I always talk about in movies like this, these horrible dystopian movies in order for the watcher to have a rest, but then make things even more horrifying. You need to have these moments, you know, early on or in the middle (laughs) uh, where they can just relax and interact with other people and just smile and have a meal. And Children of Men, of course, it's the drive with the African woman and her, her unborn baby and Juliana Moore and Clive Owen and Juliana Moore get shot through the head out of nowhere, right? When they're having sort of a fun time and reminiscing about the old days and shooting ping pong balls around with their mouth and so forth. Uh, and then boom, Juliana Moore gets shot through the head by, uh, she would tell edgy of forest thugs, the fishes. This is this part of this movie. In V for Vendetta, it's when Evie, uh, escapes V for the first time and tries to hide with her, uh, gay friend from the media 
who is a talk show host and they're having a nice little time together showing her all these secret stuff that he stashed away from the you know horrible 1984-esque government um and then of course he goes too far on his show he gets too bold attacking the regime and then they capture him and eventually kill him and and v has to you know kidnap evie supposedly for her own good, force her into submission, into freeing her mind, like a Morpheus, but against her will and by deceiving her. You can check out my V for Vendetta commentary. You see this in all these rated R dystopian movies. You need that moment, again, to relax, but know in the back of your mind, this is, I mean, this is a terrible idea for them to stop here, and Logan knows it, but everyone's exhausted. Lara needs a rest and a meal. Professor X needs a meal. Lara's never experienced family. Look at her. She's just stuffing her her face. Now he's acting like a dad. Uh, I don't know if she's used a fork before. She was treated like an animal. Uh, She's starving. She's never experienced family like this before. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. I think they all die. I think this whole family dies. And this is also the mutant-human interaction. They don't know they're mutants. And then when Eric LaSalle's character finds out, he's going to kill them. But then he ends up saving them or buying them time. And this is the whole mutants, you know, the good mutants end up saving or trying to save humans even though even though humans hate them even you know mostly good morally good humans are suspicious and hate them especially when the the dark forces of shadow governments and so forth come down on them you know uh, it pressures them into their mistrust to 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 go into possibly violent hatred she's totally has a crush on this guy this good looking kid he's older look at her she's just staring at him (laughs) she definitely never had a boyfriend i mean she's too young to have a boyfriend but she's never even had a moment to think about a normal boy as a boyfriend or just a crush uh these conversations are full of truths half truths and so forth they're unloading without giving away too much information it's true that he's the grandpa and it's true that in a lot of ways and it's true that logan is the dad she's smiling she doesn't laugh but this is it you know this is the turning point of the movie almost exactly halfway through where they're too comfortable they wait too long they're you know this family is charming them into complacence and you can't blame them after everything they've been through but it's only a matter of time before they get um found and there are local thugs who aren't after uh, uh, Logan and company who are bullying them and, and shut off their lights and stuff. And that's where the helping hand comes in. But then also the uh, reveal that he's a, a mutant and what Eric LaSalle's character is going to do about it and dealing with the situation, not understanding it and so forth. Yeah, this is the moment. They say, let's spend the night. You can see in Logan's mind, this is where Logan's right. They should keep going. But seeing how happy Professor X and Lara are for the first time, like ever, or in a long time, he just can't say no. And this is where the heart starts to open. And while 
his fury and uh, and rage are unleashed further into a new level with with the, the killing of of Charles in a little bit here by his evil twin. This is a turning point for Logan. This is a great partial red herring because you think the worry here is that you know they're being. Uh, you know, starved out in terms of electricity by the bad guys after them, but it's really the bad guys after this family, local warlords, you know, so forth, not by name. Uh, and they're ratchet; they're just ratcheting up the tension. So it's not really a red herring. It's just a mid-level uh, tense situation that leads to an extremely tense and then hyper-violent situation. So, anyways, halfway through the movie, because there's a lot of stuff coming on, I haven't talked at all about, and I'm not too worried, because a lot of this will have come out in my podcast with Reinhardt. So, in uh, the fall of 1992, the X-Men animated series came out. The Batman animated series, I think, was out at that point, or just out, and Batman animated series, animated series is still probably the best superhero animated series ever. I think, inarguably, they're about to release the like 25th or something anniversary edition on Blu-ray. Um, and, uh, and right. A safe place like this, Xavier's unloading. Um, but anyways, so I just started getting into comic books probably because of the X-Men animated series, because I immediately wanted X-Men and, I was supposed to just get two, an X-Men, and I, for some reason, loved Iron Man, even though I wasn't, like, watching Iron Man cartoons, never seen him. I just loved the art and the concept of a super suit that's not traditional superpowers. Um, uh... But I convinced my parents, they had just started the 1991 X-Men, which by the way, I'll mention this too, with 8 million copies sold, X-Men number one, the the second series of X-Men starting in 91, the blue team uh, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men had been out for a while, but X-Men is still the highest selling first issue or maybe any issue of comic book ever. I think I saw 8 million, 1991. So something like six or eight months after the X-Men animated series started, I started getting obsessed with X-Men comic books and it's remained my favorite to this day. I mean, with, with the Marvel cinematic universe and the Avengers, I've, you know, read some cap, some Thor. I can't really get into it. Dr. Strange, but I will still read trade paperbacks and, um, of more recent X-Men, uh, X-Force, etc., Uncanny X-Force, Uncanny X-Men, all that stuff, Cable, Deadpool, yada, yada, yada. I also re- have been revisiting some of the old stuff from the late 80s, early 90s that I loved during the golden age of Chris Clare- Claremont and Jim Lee and so forth. Um, and so when X-Men came out, I've told this story before, when X-Men movie came out in 2000, I just graduated high school, I was working at camp, it was the summer of 2000, and all of us Jews from Jewish summer camp went to go see the first X-Men movie in the theater. I had no idea what to expect, I hadn't read comic books in a long time, and the very first scene is a scene in a concentration camp where young Magneto's powers manifest when his parents get taken away and killed is the origin story of Magneto. And we were just floored because I knew about the Holocaust connection, but for them to implement it so dramatically 
and you know so viscerally and immediately sympathized with the bad guy magneto and set up the holocaust as the metaphor that it is for the or i should say the x-men as a metaphor for the holocaust and genocide and you know racial hatred and discrimination and so forth who knows if she's ever really listened to music like this before um we were blown away and the first x-men movie is awesome uh and x2 a few years later took it to a new level and then there weren't good comic book movies for a while until iron man in 2008 and then culminating with the full launch of the mcu um in terms of blasting off with avengers in 2012 and we, we can obviously see where mcu is 10 years later x-men has been very up and down over the years but i will leave that for the discussion with reinhardt needless to say this is the wolverine movie i had always wanted i didn't need this much violence um, in my X-Men movies necessarily, even though we get a lot of great Wolverine fighting and violence. And I think it's great that they're headed in the direction of PG-13 X-Men movies, uh, New Mutants, which is going to be more horror, which I think will be, still be PG-13, but will be like scary PG-13. And then the cable Deadpool X-Force rated R movies with Fox, now under Disney, I will leave for later. All right, so quick sidebar before we head headlong into the you know final 45 minutes or so which is just you know one giant bum rush of action intensity emotion and so forth um but i do want to say something briefly about this actor eric lasalle who i haven't seen in a lot of stuff but he was in the first few episodes uh, i'm sorry the first few seasons the original seasons original cast of er and while i'm not a hospital drama guy generally at all or really a network drama guy at all uh-oh guns um you know for me it's like Breaking Bad, The Wire, Battlestar, like, you know, early Game of Thrones seasons. Like, that's that's my stuff. However, undoubtedly, uh, people will admit that the first few seasons of ER's original cast, was which include, of course, George Clooney and Juliana Margulies, um, was spectacular across the board. But Dr. Benton, I think his name was, played by Eric LaSalle here, um, was always my favorite because, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of stereotypes, uh, you know, I, w- I was both sheltered and from a very low liberal progressive family, so I didn't really put up with stereotypes. Um, the notion of the angry black man was what I learned later, and it, I never really made sense to me. My sense is cultures breed angry people or not. It has nothing to do with, with race. Uh, in fact, it's the opposite. Um, I'm more scared of these type of guys, the white Texans with guns guys, um, than really anybody else. Point being... He was clearly, I could sort of tell the time, but looking back, pl- playing a very black, quote-unquote, character, black American, but th- that wasn't how they wrote for him, nor how he approached it. So I guess what I'm saying is, any incidental stereotypes with his character were uh, overwhelmed and overwritten by just his great solo performance. And him always having a chip on his shoulder uh, as that character, among many characteristics, made him so complicated. Um you know, again, you could chalk up totally to family issues, relationship issues, personal issues, whatever. And while he was the one black lead character, although they fixed that pretty quickly with with some more minority characters, um, nevertheless, his relationship with the, you know, the intern, you know, Padawan character, the Wesley Crusher character, the Anakin Skywalker character, if you will, uh, Noah Wiley's um, 
uh, what was Noah Wiley's character, um, who was, you know, the first year resident, and Dr. Benton, who's a senior resident, had to deal with him. And while Juliana Margulies and George Clooney's love story is legendary, and those two actors rocketed to superstardom, um, at least partially based on how great their relationship and chemistry was on that show, what they were able to show. A lot of, you know, um, uh, Anthony Edwards, great. I mean, there's a ton of amazing characters in that show. Even after the first couple seasons when I stopped watching. This is about to be brutal up here. I, I didn't really see this coming, because I do want to get back to Eric LaSalle if I can. And because it looks enough like Wolverine on first watching, and you're so focused on, like, this is what you might see at the Academy Awards if he had been and should have been nominated, as part of this speech. It's his final confession last confession lots of religious overtones here just in terms of you know him dying immediately following this um now the question is of course why can't he read into wolverine's brain that it's not him daphne keen can sort of tell laura can sort of tell i think it's because of the promise he made that he wouldn't even for small things go into wolverine's brain and without his permission going forward from the early movies and uh and he'd have no reason to, to, to do so here, even out of self-preservation. Let's see, does he turn back towards it? It was weird that Logan wasn't talking, because he normally makes fun of Charles. Uh-oh, you see this, you're like, oh no. Oh. Brutal. It looks just like Lee Schreiber, it's crazy. It was, of course, supposed to be the sab- or was Sabretooth, the mirror, the mirror character of of Logan in the comic books and and this on the screen. So this is is horrible, horribly violent as has been so far. Sorry, guys, that's my washer in the background. That's stupid music. Uh, but yeah, it killed the kid. We see it happen. Rated our Logan. <laughs> um, this is where shit gets really real. To quote Ricky from uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, shit just got real. Question is, is are those adamantium costs? The woman's going to be dead, and he's going to go n- nuts. Um, so I, w- I wanted to talk more about Eric LaSalle, but, but I did want to talk about their on-screen relationship, as short but powerful as it is. I don't... Oh, there it is. Now there's finally a shot. Dead. Oh, kills Eric LaSalle. Did I completely miss the part where he threatened to kill uh, kill Wolverine? Or does that happen here before he dies? When he can't... I mean, these this family has no idea what's going on. These three guys show up. They have no idea to think they're mutants. And then now they're in the middle of, you know, the, the most uh, violent and really important critical mutant confrontation on Earth that really nobody knows about except for the main characters. Um, so anyways, point being, they definitely wanted a middle America color, family of color, uh, for this scene for a lot of reasons, you know, X-Men has had a problem with being too white, even in the comics, especially in the comics. Um, but, uh, Eric LaSalle was, was, was an obvious choice looking back, even though I hadn't thought about him in years because he plays such a unique anger and intensity that is coming purely from him. And, and even if you get no backstory in him, like here, um, it, it feels like he has a rich backstory because of all the emotions that he will, he's able to play on his face with few lines. So thank you, Eric LaSalle. Okay, here we go. 
So this, of course, ends up working slightly in their favor that Logan pissed these guys off because they're, you know, this is pretty much the only questionable hijinks in the movie writing. That this is sort of convenient that they, they you know, the night that Wolverine comes, Eric LaSalle finally angers the local white rednecks who are probably KKK enough to bring an army of rednecks and you know mix up well i guess it's funny they mix up evil wolverine for normal wolverine and they of course haven't seen him i mean it's you know he did in the dark there wasn't much light they haven't seen him or dealt with this guy enough to know that this is clearly not wolverine not logan i should say i think they called him x24 and as i explained earlier i think that was to delineate that he came after uh laura because he was grown full 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 born in the vat yeah some very smart there is uh is the bad guy boyd oh boyd they should have just called him boyd this is the sun seeker in a way this is the twisted obi-wan death although the surprise on Patrick Stewart's eyes, on Charles's eyes, when, when, he, when he gets, you know, run through by the claws of of the evil Wolverine, um, this of course is what sets up. You know, uh, what I was gonna say was this is a mirror of Obi Wan. You know, Obi Wan willingly gives up, and it's clear even on first watching that he willingly gives up. Here, it's not so clear how much Professor X knows about what's going on before and after the, or before and up to his death. But in terms of, you know, turning an erstwhile student fully on the path that they want them to go and that they have to die doing it. Obi-Wan has to, has to stage his own death. You know, here it's not clear that Charles could have done anything about it or just, he was sloppy and wasn't paying attention. He want you know, Charles wants to die, but it has the same effect, you know, here it's him and Lara and then the other young mutants that we meet later. And with Luke, it's, you know, Ben setting Luke up. Oh, here we go. Caliban being a hero after he brought him to them, you know, he's the Judas, He's the Judas that tries to repent. Of course, it you know, t- two grenades doesn't even kill Boyd. Yeah. The thing is, this is, I remember this in the first watching and the second watching in the theater. This is the sloppiest part of the movie from a writing standpoint, but is also one of the most powerful emotion, uh, emotional and insanely aggressive uh, and brutal action stuff ever on film. So who cares? Oh, man. Ugh. I uh, can't wait for X-23 to start digging into him. Yeah, the thing is, you know, like, I, the thought of slicing someone with a knife or getting sliced by a knife, I mean, even when you cut your finger with a knife, it gives you, like, weird chills. Like, it's scary. And, and the fact that it's part of their hands makes it more brutal, makes it cooler, but also makes it a little bit, oh, because it's superpower, a little easier to deal with. This is great. This doesn't kill him. We've seen they've been so creative in the comic books and the movies and TV shows over the years of, you know, d- disgustingly gruesome and brutal ways to almost kill Wolverine to see if he can come back. He even comes back to life in the movie, the Wolverine. And this is Terminator stuff. I mean, this would shut down a Terminator. Uh, you still have to destroy their chip, but a Terminator, even the T-1000 w- would be deactivated. He shoots him in the head around with the, Oh, right. Here's his decision to not kill Wolverine. Not to call Logan, I should say. Yeah, it's funny. 
Yeah. I love the name Logan. I love that, you know, he's known as much by Logan as Wolverine, but to me, he's always the Wolverine. Because I met him with what we just saw. Oh, he does. He's going to shoot him. Oh, fuck. He was going to kill him. Jesus Christ. It was very smart to have Charles die before. Because Charles was enough to set him over the top. He was an old man. But Wolverine, with, with, the de- with Eric LaSalle's death, Logan looks around and says, my, my old man got murdered, but worse, they maybe have killed, because he doesn't know yet, they maybe have killed Lara, and just as bad or worse, me being sloppy f- led to this entire family getting slaughtered. It's not his fault, really, or his responsibility, but it is, you know, a consequence of giving in to one night's weakness. You know, he, he, he wouldn't give in to human emotion or connection with these two or anybody for the whole movie. And then for one night, he's lured into a sense of maybe people aren't so bad with Eric LaSalle's family that all gets murdered. And that one night, and that's important because we need to see him, you know, in most movies, this is great. She knows, she knows she's freaking out, but she knows what he's going to do. Um, in most movies, this is the part like with Luke and Star Wars, but even movies that are, you know, quote unquote more adult where the hero, you know, with the reluctant anti-hero says, you know what? I just got to suck it up and I'm not really going to explain it. I'm just going to do the right thing now. The way Luke does in the original movie never really makes sense from a human standpoint. What's great is that he continues to resist this idea. Now he's got nothing but the dying wishes of Xavier to try and save this girl. But even in his mind, he's going to get her to the border and then go off and die, which is what he's been wanting to do. And even in his death, he hasn't achieved. And I think that's something that doesn't get talked about. Everyone talks about how depressing and sad, you know, Charles's death, and you know, even more so in some ways, Logan's death is at the end of this movie. And, and we will be shedding tears together, no doubt. Um, right. So they're injecting the, uh, the healing, um, serum that they've been able to, basically they can give you like an adrenal boost, um, a stim pack, as they say, uh, using, but it's not nearly as. Power. I mean, the healing. Let's put it this way: the healing factor has kept Wolverine alive for possibly hundreds of years, m- dozens of times when he should be dead, including nuclear explosions and similar to what we just saw. Classic shot of the sunglasses. That was the shot I think that they used, um, bearing Charles. And only now he's dying because the adamantium is poisoning him in a way. The healing factor over a long period, a long, you know combined with all the physical, mental, emotional, et cetera, stress that he takes, it, it's it, the healing factor just can't keep up. Um, meaning if he stayed, if he had stayed out of trouble and never submitted to the weapons X program or got captured or whatever happened, he would probably still be able to live hundreds more years with the power. So they're able to harness a small amount of it. And, you know, he takes a bunch of vials at the end of the movie and it kills him. But it, I think the idea is, and we'll get there, that kills him because he's pretty much already dead dead um and the combination of 
too much healing power actually backfires with the with the poisoning of the enemy. It's all very complicated but unnecessary. But this is the other image. They release that image of his bloody hand and her holding his wrist uh, with her tiny hand. Oh my god, this is great. I gotta watch the subtitles. This was hard to hear what he was saying. One of many Australians who nails the American accent. You don't even think about it after a while. I talk with Brittany and Alistair from Australia. Nova Stream Network about that this is perfect yeah fuck this fuck this it's too hard to be sad because it's not just that charles is dead it's how he died the whole family that died with him all the senseless violence the car doesn't even work he's dying now she's gonna have to be the mom to this bitter old man which is great you know what's funny is when hugh jackman started out in his 30s as as wolverine in the year 2000 filmed late 90s (laughs) this is actually okay I was going to say he was playing younger then and now he's playing older than he I mean he's he still looks incredibly young and dashing in real life obviously does Hugh Jackman. Um but like like Chris Hemsworth they have to bulk up for these movies cuz they're while they're they're cut they're not like giant and ripped in real life. <laughs> this is so funny. This is the best response. You're waiting for a teary-eyed long speech at the funeral he just says fuck it and he starts destroying his old beat down car and then collapses and now lara has to take over and the the you know temporary betrayal at the end where he just gives up on her and the friends ends up hurting her more because she thinks he she you know lara how do i say this Oh, this is great. Of course, the, the, the you know the 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 needed uh, a doctor, normal doctor looks at Wolverine and just goes, "What the fuck are you? What the fuck's going on?" Oh, this guy is that John Cleese? Looks just like him. Um, so anyway, Laura has to take over. She has to drive. She has to make decisions. She's telling him to shut his fucking face. All that stuff. But ultimately, she thinks he'll come back to himself because she's a kid and she loves him already even though he's being a total asshole and screwing up and she thinks he'll come back and and it's no question that he's come not coming with them like why wouldn't he want to try and live a little bit longer and come with them and when he says no i'm not coming with you just go away that that really breaks her heart in the end and of course the final sacrifice brings them together with with like six seconds between the time they come together and he dies which i was getting to earlier was is the truly heartbreaking thing it's the the lead up to the death everyone knew he was dying at the end of this movie if you know anything about wolverine and what he had said about this being his last movie although we're definitely going to see in my opinion a cameo of him in future x-men movies because they all take place in the past i think here we go this is it this is the flip this is this is the student becomes the master the padawan becomes the master the thing is she's been the padawan of charles that's the problem charles has been the one even though they've been just talking via minds and not letting idiot logan in on it Uh, you know charles has been the one guiding this whole thing even in his moments of insanity all right she doesn't she doesn't want to drive it or she doesn't force the driving issue at first and i think he like swerves immediately here is this where she finally starts speaking so guys this is amazing we're almost an hour and 40 into this movie which is only a like two hour 10 minute movie it she hasn't spoken <laughs> what uh, 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 uh. 
I remember being surprised that she spoke in Spanish, even though she was raised in Mexico City. Because she looks like a you know European, being Spanish. Here we go. I haven't seen the full translation of this. Even if I knew Spanish, I'd have no idea what she's saying. Uh, this is the names. Mm-hmm. Jonah, Gideon, Rebecca, Delilah, Richter. I initially thought, are they going to make this? Because again, I didn't. I hadn't read about her. I, I wanted to go in fresh, like with Mackenzie Foy with, uh, as Murph in Interstellar. I would like to go fresh on these young actresses and then be blown away by their talent. Too many stories. It's amazing to think she's as old here as Emma Watson was in Harry Potter 3, I think. She's small for a 12-year-old. Which would be great, because soon she'll be 16, 17 and can actually play X-23. So here's the argument. Right. Look, she's not she's not old enough or, you know, uh, fluent enough in, in English. She's probably trying to explain it in Spanish. He's saying, this is all made up. And she's going, no, we agreed to go here, you idiot. We picked the coordinates from the comic book because it was a secret message we could could communicate to each other. Look how, I I don't know how they did this makeup. Look at this. Two-day drive. (laughs) She just punches him. I think she punched him for real. He probably told her. So this was the, I mentioned this much earlier, guys. This was the Delilah Richter, say the names. She's doing the right thing, guilting him into submission. Yeah, yep. That's it. Yep. She can't speak to him directly, but she can guilt him into submission. So this movie is smart enough for you to figure out that that or not. It's not a coincidence that the coordinates happen to be the same ones from a comic book 30 years ago. It's, that's how they're conveying the message because the suits, these guys are so cynical and evil. They would never think that it would be anything other than a delusion from the comic book, which is exactly how Logan's been treating it and not realizing the kids are smarter. They're saying, no, there isn't anything objectively important about these coordinates. We just agreed to go there and we share it through the comic book. That's how I read it. I think that's how it's meant to be read. If you look deeply enough, doesn't matter. Poor Caliban. Ugh. They exposed him to the sun after he died even more, it looks like. Look at this guy. <laughs> they, this should have been, yeah, this should have been the bad guy in Deadpool 1 with a little bit better writing and Boyd Holbrook playing Pierce. Boyd Holbrook has a much better name than Pierce for this character. Right. So, you know, it's never, the, you know why the doctor wants them back. It's unclear why he's so into it. He doesn't express anything other than kind of grudging admiration for Wolverine when they talk early on. Um, although this could be the Peter Dinklage. Here he goes off the road. You know, Peter Dinklage in Days of Future Past. I talk about how he's one of the most evil characters we've seen in a comic book movie. But because it's Peter Dinklage and he's a twinkle in his eye and just who he is and how he looks and so forth, you don't realize that if you listen to the lines that he's saying, the words on the page, it's straight from the, you know, the Stalin-Hitler. I mean, we throw those comparisons around a lot. Like, Red Skull is just a really evil, angry guy, but Dinklage is that sort of, almost like Eichmann-esque, you know, bureaucratic, I just, I respect them, but they must die, because for my, for everyone to be happy, my plans to succeed, they have to die. I don't hold it against them. In fact, I respect them. It's that kind of language that's actually worse than the straight-up hate. Hate can actually be 
solved in some people by ex- through exposure and education but the the the, the nazi germanic ask you know um this is just the practical solution you know the fact that it's called the final solution is so horrifying it's not called the final genocide the ultimate jewish genocide which is what it is or you know ultimate minority genocide they just call it the final solution and that's how they refer to it within the bureaucracy of nazism and this will definitely come out before August 29th, which is when the Oscar Isaac, Ben Kingsley movie, uh, true story about the Israeli Secret Service and the CIA and Eichmann and the trial of Eichmann and so forth, which I'll get back to later. So we pay attention to this drama. The point being, um, you know, the, the bad guys in this movie are similar to, to the Peter Dinklage portrayal in Days of Future Past. Um, <clears throat> In the, oh, we respect you so much, we respect you so much that we want to oppress you, torture you, and copy your powers. That's how much we respect you. It's t- in their minds, they see it as, as respect, but they're just using that word, and it means the opposite. It means you're weak enough that I can exploit you, and you're powerful enough that I want to exploit you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the thing with the X-Men. You're small enough numbers, and we have big enough numbers, and money, and so forth, to be able to oppress you, but you're so powerful that it it makes it worth it. That was the ultimate indictment of the Jewish genocide, was that Jews were successful. You know, most of the Jews murdered were Eastern European poor villagers who had nothing, but the hatred in Germany and Austria, where it all began, even though some of the worst Nazis weren't German, um, or at least, you know, Berlin Germans, you know, Jews were very well off and doing very well in, in some Western European societies. And that's ultimately Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Jews from the Holocaust generation. I mean, they work those themes of tolerance and the dangers of war and hatred and stuff in all their properties, but it's, it's most clearly expressed, obviously, in the X-Men. And I've done tons of X-Men commentaries, guys. I've only released Days of Future Past. I don't know why. Um, maybe I just have trouble being objective about it, but I'm thrilled to be here doing this with you. That's my second one. Now I compared this to Mad Max to two dystopian movies with the dark, you know, washed out color palette in the fu- in their future and blah, 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 blah. Third movie to bring in is of course, children of men, which also takes place in about the same time period, you know, 20, 25, 2030, whenever, blah, blah, blah. Maybe Mad Max is slightly more in the future, but the similarity in the three, these three movies um, is that while there are varying amounts of oppressive horribleness coming down from the top, from governments, from shadowy scientific bodies like in here, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the, the water oppressors and Mad Max and, you know, the, the, the British dictatorship and children of men. But ultimately what makes the three depressing isn't the rated R horrifying violence. This is great. But the fact that they're the hopelessness of the situation has permeated much, if not most of the population. And that's what's actually allowing the dictators to stay in power. And in all three situations, if, and when the people stand up, those governments fall. Now in children of men, we only see the first spark of that, you know, and again, Clive Owen dying at the end of children of men is, you know, or Max dying at the end of Mad Max, I think, right? I forget. I saw that once. Very similar to Logan here, you know, but they die and they do one final last great act to set things in motion. Part of the reason I didn't like Mad Max was that it was actually more disturbing in terms of its portrayal of humanity's behaviors during the film and then tried to have a very uplifting ending where everything was overthrown and Charlize Theron was going to be this, you know, great, benevolent, 
I swore I'm not going to be a dictator, you know, Furiosa, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in this movie, in Children of Men, it's just the first step. Um, here it's these kids and Children of Men. It's, uh, it's the woman, the young African woman and her baby that Clive Owen pushes to the, the good guy scientist hiding in the waters off- offshore. God, that movie's good. And all three were loved. All three are kind of cult movies. All three were very well received by critics and a decent amount, if not all fans. Um, But I think ultimately, Logan and Children of Men uh, tell a more compelling story, even though the the stakes, especially in this movie, the stakes seem to be a little bit lower than Mad Max, um, just because of the sheer numbers of people there. The stakes in this movie are as high as the stakes of Children of Men. In fact, it's basically the same thing. And I and, and again, I'll leave to my podcast with my friend Reinhard Schumann talk about the House of M saga that informed you know like five plus years of great X Men in the twenty first century a few years back, invo- involving Cable that we saw in Deadpool and Hope, who, who basically Lara is is kind of based on. Um, I mean, when, when, when Hope Summers is born in the X-Men Messiah Complex, um, House of M Saga, she's the first new mutant born in a long time. Um, but Lara being the product of the mutant gene, but direct experimentation, people hurt me, um, is, you know, equally kind of holy or just you know super important basically in both cases super important to the future of the people who are trying to kill them including supposed to good guys like eric lasalle's characters who would have tried to kill wolverine if there had been a bullet in the gun yeah so again i won't harp on this this is the one thing i don't like in this movie because i love that x-men is a genetic thing i don't like when they you know like serums special serums and radiation and stuff that's you know captain america uh um hulk stuff to me which i love in the movies and occasionally in the comics um but as i explained earlier the fact that this is a very 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 watered down uh version of the healing factor that just can give you a a quick boost that they they want to basically use as like a temporary painkiller for him and he you know like uh he takes it as if you're taking uh, an amphetamine where the more you take at once you know the the more energetic you get but the harder and faster you crash and he takes too much and he crashes hard and fast i've heard people too yeah we've seen that laura not your fault yeah this is it this is the dad moment and that's what makes what comes next so heartbreaking where he says like i'm not coming he doesn't try. I mean, that's the thing. Th- that's all delivered from Hugh Jackman. Yeah, they're bad people. She already understands. He's still dealing with the guilt of all the bad people he's killed. Right, and that's this is the thing. Lara understands that there's a difference between killing bad people trying to kill you and killing innocents. Now, Wolverine has killed innocents, but it's still usually been accidental for the most part. You know, or he's under the influence of someone, blah, blah, blah. And she's already wiser than he ever was or ever will be. And that's why he's absolutely the wrong person to have a long life. And he's had a death wish for a long time. He's been daring the world to kill him because for all of you people out there who argue, Oh, humans should live 200 years, a thousand years, live forever. Eventually our demons catch up with us. And the only way to move on to whatever's next is, is to die. And I think that's why people are affected by this movie. Even if they don't 
see it that way or don't want to see it that way is this is like children of men actually a hopeful ending because of the lessons learned both on and off screen this is very funny yeah they really wanted to give him a send-off where his wounds had healed a little bit they give him oh right they copy it from the comic book oh that's so great it's been so serious the connection to the the comics within the story so far look at them they're laughing they're smiling even this is enough. They give him the Wolverine haircut. This is totally an old school X-Men moment. It's great. Um, I mean, we also need to talk about Hugh Jackman's relationship with young women, mostly not weirdly. I mean, Jean, he's in love with and obsessed with to an unhealthy degree until he's forced to kill her at her command. Um, Right, they needed one kid who was a bit older, a, a bit smarter, a bit charismatic, you know, like 16-ish. They, they would never have a chance without a kid like that. They're just, you know, they're just too young. I can't remember what his powers are, but his important power is, like Captain America, is being a great leader. I mean, he's so much more advanced of a human being than Logan over, you know, 150 years. But anyways, yeah, I mean... I mean, I, I think all people would eventually end up wanting to die, even if they think they want eternal life. But some people want it sooner than others, even if it's hard to admit to themselves. And it usually has to do with having a fucked up personality, bad memories, and just you know, losing faith in yourself and everyone around you. And Logan, like I said, has been trying to die for a long time. And I think of all the characters, he's the one that, that needs it. He needs the the rest, you know? join all his friends who have been been killed now in the x-men days of future past reset gene never dies because none of that nonsense in x3 the last stand happens because that's where the reset is that's where the path diverges so and we know this isn't that far future so but you think they would have mentioned the fact that oh charles killed or didn't kill all the x-men that we know i guess they did mention scott at one point um Oh, here's the money. That's why you did it, right? The kid's giving him a hard time about it, but he doesn't care. I mean, he cares. But he knew he would probably get this. He, I think he knew Logan was going to turn it down just watching, in the short time, watching the you know, body language and so forth, the characters. Now, now Logan realizes he's, he's got to get these kids across. It's just like the X-Mansion. It's like X-Mansion going camping. Oh. So I was going to say, her, Anna Paquin as Rogue, the um, uh, Yukio, his bodyguard from Japan, who they stupidly recast for Deadpool. I mean, she was fine, but the original Yukio is amazing. Yeah, he's already saying, I'm leaving. Such a nice man. Right, I never asked for this. Neither did she. None of us asked for it, Logan. That's the whole point. He's such a he's a dummy. And that's the ultimate tragedy. Is that his he is like the most complicated life ever and his relatively small intellect could never understand it or even start trying to. He's lived too long and doesn't can't and doesn't have the capacity to under to truly empathize or understand. Yeah. He tries to ditch rogue numerous times until giving into that tries to ditch Yukio up until the end of Wolverine, which he keeps following him around because she's his bodyguard. 
So I think this is a, I think this is a branch timeline from the Days of Future Past. Like he has all of the experiences we're supposed to think he has through the three Brian Singer movies: X One, X Two, Days of Future Past, um, and then you know, of course, the Wolverine. Uh, but this is a brand, This is probably a branching path. Um, maybe not, but maybe he comes back at the end of Days of Future Past. Everyone has the hugging Frodo moment of everyone's alive and we're all together. And then things just go to shit immediately and everyone's killed or scattered. And um, I think we have to assume House of M is in effect, which of course would inform Cable. And, and we know Hope you know, exists in, in the Cable timeline. We, the, basically, the Logan... Uh, Deadpool, Cable, hopefully X-Force, future X-Force timeline is together and might be related to, but not directly the same as the X-Men timeline. They kind of have to do that. There's so many in the comic books. They've already left. He overslept, which he never does. Except when he's really, really injured, which of course he is. Um, and so I think we're meant to think a House of M type event happened where mutants die and or lose their powers because of the Scarlet Witch or something else. There's drones. I don't know why more movies don't do this. We know drones are everywhere. It's like the easiest practical effect to do. It's probably cheaper to use real drones and film it than to do CGI. Sorry for the background noise, guys. Gotta have the AC on. It's still hot here in Philly. So this is it. This is the final battle. What's great about this? What I love... It's already two hours into the movie... You know, some people complain it starts slow, which I think is nonsense because the beginning is some of the best stuff and you can't start just do five, five, five from the beginning. It wouldn't be this movie, but you know, you could turn this into a 20 plus minute action scene, but I don't think it lasts longer than 10 or 15 minutes and it shouldn't. It comes to a head here. And so Wolverine either ends it with the help of the kids or they lose. Like this is this has to be the final battle. And that was part of many problems. I mean, the thing is, the first part of X Men Last Stand isn't terrible. They introduced Angel slash Archangel. You know, they introduced some cool characters. Um, you know, Gene going crazy had the potential for the Dark Phoenix, which they're going to take another shot at with the Dark Phoenix moving uh, next year. They're already picking up kids. There's way more kids than we saw initially, but that's that's fine. That's probably their mistake. Was all camping together, obviously. Um, you know, ironic again that the military bad guys started taking these coordinates seriously earlier than Wolverine, who's supposedly the good guy. I mean, he has to do this. He has to try. She acts mad at him, but they're dead without this. And what's the point? Knowing you've already let so many people die, whether it's the wonderful family you just met or Charles or whoever, or Caliban. And now you're going to watch all these kids die and have to still live for a while because you can't, you just have to wait for the poison to take you. No, he's, you know, he's accelerating the poison even more. And I can't, I can't really blame him. I mean, he's always trying to be reckless and give his life for things. Sometimes he joins causes just for the chance to possibly throw his life away and actually get killed, but do it doing the right thing. So this is teasing heavily at New Mutants, uh, which is another Fox property that's more of like a horror thing with kids uh, and their mutant powers. New Mutants originally were formed, I believe, by Cable as a predecessor, uh, precursor to X-Force, also to be discussed with Mr. Reinhard Schumann. I hope you enjoy or check out that podcast. 
So all of them use their powers, but then they just get overwhelmed by military odds and their kids. So, you know, usually like we see with Rogue and, and the teens in the early X-Men movies, as is the case in the comic, it's usually not until adolescence, which these kids are just hitting, but maybe not a fit yet. Like, I don't think Daphne Keen has. Oh, man, brutal. This is so great. Here he comes. Oh, yeah, baby. Well, the Wolverine. One last time. They got it. They had to give it to us, and they did. But they did like Obi-Wan killing Darth Maul in, in Star Wars Rebels. Instead of a 10-minute lightsaber battle, it's like very short, compact, brutal. Every shot is where it needs to be. He, they try and do as many one-shots as possible. They can do camera switches. Oh, there's the jump. We first saw the Wolverine jump in the movies, I think, in the X2 mansion. Yeah, he's so juiced. That shot, that looks just, that close-up on his face where he's growling looks straight from the comics. I mean, Hugh Jackman got to play probably the most, you know, coolest, not the most interesting or best, but just the straight-up coolest to young male teens comic book character ever in The Wolverine. And he made him way more complicated and interesting than he ever is in the books, for the, at least in, when I was reading. Play him in a whole number of different movies, properties, and settings over the years. Launch an incredible career where he does everything from musicals to dramas to comedies to other action movies to The Prestige, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Him and Christian Bale going at it with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, man. By the way, guys, I'm thinking of doing a uh, 10th anniversary of The Dark Knight um, about Christopher Nolan's career. Uh, I believe it's it's actually 20 years since his first movie, so that's the more important thing. Um, but we'll get back to that. Speaking of cool superheroes, I mean, Batman's supposed to be cool, and they keep having trouble finding someone to stick around long enough. W- w- here they landed a, a quote-unquote no-name that, you know, I mean, he was a no-name. He was doing, like, Oklahoma musical on off-Broadway at the time. Oh, here we go. Two of them fighting together. We had to get it. He's extra animalistic. Yeah, I mean, he can take more pain and punishment than he's taken in a long time, but it's it's going to wear off. Boom. That's the thing. This movie's so bloody, but because it's claws and hand-to-hand combat, and they're fighting to the death... He took all the medicine, she knows, yeah. Um, it's not what I would consider an excessive amount of blood. It's an appropriate and realistic amount of blood. And when you're dealing with beings who can get shot 50 times and not die, they're still going to bleed. So this is it. This, right, so this is the Obi-Wan Darth Maul thing. So this is where you think there's a whole second stage to this fight. And there is, but they get, they get right to it. These two work together. One, the first and last time they really fight together, and that's it. Yep. They don't even have to say it. She knows about the adamantium bullet. The silver bullet. That's adamantium. That's true, though. He he could have shot himself in the head. So he's a death wish, and he's got the one thing that allows him to commit suicide, and he never really used it. She was mad at him when she discovers it, I guess. Oh, here we go. Pierce. Waste the stick, Logan. I love it. It's this is so sad because this is like Bobby Iceman from the early X Men movies. Like this is a teen that he 
Wolverine would make fun of and claim was a punk, but actually love. I mean, the scene with before the right before the invasion with Bobby and Wolverine talking about their love interests in the kitchen, where Logan asks, if there, "There's a beer," and he goes, "This is a school." <laughs> Like you got a soda, diet. <laughs> I think I'm gonna kill them. So <laughs> Mutie. Donald Pierce. Yeah. Um n- not clear if there's a continuation of Stryker's work. You would think for sure this lead has come from Stryker's work in the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands within their timeline. Right. They're claiming it's gene therapy. I don't even know why he's trying to talk Wolverine down. He knows this is all bullshit and is for military purposes. It always has been and always will be. He's just buying time by listening to this guy. Yep. Kill the scientist right away. This was like killing Patrick Stewart before Eric LaSalle. You know, sometimes you don't want the ultimate bad guy to be the last last one to die. Although the, the one that's caused the most death directly, this guy, Pierce being the last to die and they save uh, uh, x24 actually as the there he is boom i mean if if they merged if they merged the genes of of uh hugh jackman and leave schreiber that's exactly what it would look like here we go I guess I had sort of thought and hoped that the bad guys would be governmental, but I guess looking at it now, it, it's possible the government's funding this. There's, you know, Stryker was ultimately a government government funded, even though he, you know, was was rogue in terms of not telling them what he was really doing. It doesn't even look... I mean, it looks like Hugh Jackman. It's clearly him, but what he's doing with this face is just... That must have been super fun, if challenging. Oh. Who ends up being the one to pull the bullet? Does... Is she just a distraction? I think she gets big time skewered before this over. Oh, a harpoon. Jesus Christ. That's actually a great weapon. Oh, man, this is so brutal. Look at this. That's really her, man. That is really that young actress. God. You almost have to be non-American for a role like this. Oh, yeah. This is the children of the corn shit. You know, people thought this was like really creepy. Like someone said like, oh, I can see why they would want to get rid of these kids because it's so creepy. But I'm like... Do you know? Do you understand what's going on? These guys have nobody. They have to kill. At, it's twelve-year-olds. Oh uh, yeah, this is great. He gets the full treatment from the mutants, which of course only confirms his mistrust and hatred for them. Because he, he, like Stryker and like Peter Dinklage's character, they don't see these kids as kids. Now it's not clear they see humans as humans, but they definitely don't see mutants as humans. No, oh, this kid's back. Yes, he is super powerful. I forgot that. I mean, he's, you know, he's at that age. That might be the first time he does it. He's in that teen, early teen age when the powers fully manifest, which is why the kids aren't, boom, which is why the kids aren't 
able to just keep using their powers over and over again because they're they're young and it's just the stress of the environment and the fact that they've been enhanced i guess so they can do it this young like most mutants in the comics as 10 or 12 year olds aren't aren't really using their powers at least fully that's why young eric lencher magneto in the concentration camp that's what what brought his powers out so young and then of course when he's forced to bring them out by uh, a flashback in first class with kevin bacon even with a gun literally to his mom's head he can't do it because he's so young and he'd never done it before and then his mom dies and then he goes crazy yeah if you've only seen the movies but not all of them you have to see first class to fully along with the beginning of the original x-men obviously to fully see why magneto is as unreconcilably evil as he is oh man i don't know how they did that effect i think it's a cgi um he he pushes them oh there it is that's the terminator shot that's exactly the terminator shot that's what they are they're terminators so i guess if if the brain dies they die right they can't regenerate the brain so i guess he's never but a normal bullet wouldn't do it yeah i mean the only thing he's been in, in or at the edge of a nuclear explosion it's it's i wonder this is so brutal i'm just gonna talk over this i'm sorry guys it's this hard to watch uh i wonder if you dropped a nuclear bomb on his head a healthy wolverine whether he would live it, i mean it's almost hard to believe she would care so much about this guy but they've had such an intense experience he did save her at least for now and it is her dad i mean He's, you know, if he wasn't officially her dad, he's become it. Almost through the transit property of Charles, right? Don't be what they made you. Yep. Which, that's the mistake of his life, post-Weapon X. Is it animalistic killing machine. Sorry, I'm getting Jin and Galen are so flashbacks here. Daddy. Papa. Stardust. So this is what it feels like. Yep. It's hard for people, movie watchers, to watch, or anyone to watch stuff like this. It's just, it's so, it's so close to home. So that's it. Those passes, Denneth or son of Ichthelion, Lord and Steward of Gondor. <laughs> Thus, sorry, that's all right, guys. This, I shouldn't be laughing. Thus passes. Hugh Jackman as Logan Wolverine. Even though I think if he's not in Dark Phoenix, I will I will pay all of you hundred dollars. In fact, that's you know. The one X-Men movie in recent years, since Last Stand made a really good amount of money in 2006, but really let people down, and then there was a string of bad to mediocre X-Men movies, the fact that this future past made $750 million, it can't, here's the speech from Shane, which this would be so cheesy, but this actress in this movie, in the story of these characters, is, the thing was, I was numb at this point. I'm numb now. This is a movie that sits with you and you grieve later the way the characters do.
So the timeline is in place for these mutants to be, some of these mutants to be in X-Force in the future. And Cable can time travel with Deadpool. So it's not hard for them to take some of the, you know, take Domino and Yukio and some of the mutants we've met in Deadpool with Cable and Deadpool and go to the future and meet up with these kids. Obviously, they'll all be recast, but other than her, it's X-23. He's the leader. Yep. He's the oldest. He's got Summers. He's got Summers. Yeah. So I don't know if this makes this movie more or less quote-unquote meaningful to the overall X-Men universe if it's in continuity or not. I think they made it to be seen as a standalone movie, although it rewards knowing his past, obviously, within the cinematic universe. Oh, yes. This is where I lost it. This is where I lost it. This is so obvious. I'm, they must have done this in the comics before. I know they leave X's on graves, but to turn the cross to the X, oh my God. I'm, I got chills. I got chills. I got chills, and I hope we see her and all the fucking mutants we've met in these Radar Fox movies. I mean, Hugh Jackman, thank you for so many years in movies. Patrick Stewart, thank you for so many years in movies and for being who you are, you two amazing, amazing men. But goddamn, Daphne Keene owned this movie. Logan, a.k.a. the birth of a new generation of mutants. Now, they used... Okay, so this Johnny Cash song... They used a Johnny Cash. They used Hurt. They used Johnny Cash doing the cover of uh, you know his famous album in the '90s with Rick Rubin. Where he does covers of like Nine Inch Nails. He does a cover of Nine Inch Nails Hurt that is actually more listened to and famous now than the Nine Inch Nails version, which was very famous. Um, and they use Hurt as the music for the trailer for this movie and that really started the trend that we saw with imagine dragons and wonder woman and we've seen you know obviously guardians has done it a lot and and thor with led zeppelin um to forego the usual over-the-top trailer melodramatic orchestra music and just pick an awesome song and so to end with the credits after we had all seen the hurt trailer with johnny cash for this movie uh when the man comes to town or whatever the song is called but you know, guys know I love the show, the short-lived but awesome sh- Terminator spinoff, Sarah Connor Chronicles on Fox. The first se- season was only like nine episodes, and they spend the whole first season trying to get away from one particular ter- Terminator that's very crafty named Cromartie, who, even though only his chip, not his body, follows them from the past to the somewhat future, and their jump at the beginning of the show ends up in a new body, gets steals it, like a porn star's identity. Um, is a great character actor whose name I'm blanking on. Anyways, the final scene of uh, of season one that leads directly into the events of season two is an FBI raid on 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 the Terminator posing as this out of work actor guy, um, Cromartie, um, and him just you just see dead and bloodied FBI agents getting thrown out of his poolside apartment right into the pool and just bodies dropping in slow motion with blood everywhere in this song playing. It's pretty great. So, um, there's another Terminator connection and you know, the, the, 
the fact that he's been programmed is what makes Wolverine an interesting character on the page and on the screen is that he has been programmed with Weapon X. And so it's not a direct man machine story like we see so much in, in film books and comic books, but it shares a lot of those things. So, oh man, I have so much to say. Thank you guys for joining me. It was a thrill to watch this again with you and to do some commentary. Hopefully I brought up a couple of cool ideas. Um, definitely check out my podcast with Reinhardt, X-Men Extravaganza, and look forward to more uh, comic book, uh, film commentary, music, politics, and of course, Star Wars podcast coming at you soon here at the Bizzlecast, bizzlecast.com, at the Bizzle on Twitter, and uh, Bizzlecast on Facebook, and pretty much anywhere you can type a URL. Thank you all. Much love. May the Force be with you. And the Bizzle is out.